Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our text for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. These are the words of God. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in, your, in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will, if you will bow down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it instructs us. We pray that you would open our hearts to receive it, that you would open our ears to hear what your word says. Would you teach us to trust in your word as we study it? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This passage from Matthew's gospel, this is the, the story of Jesus' temptation by the devil as he is beginning his earthly ministry, uh, and it falls right on the heels of Jesus' baptism, which is another well-known story in, in the ministry and lifetime of Jesus. And this is really a glorious beginning to Jesus' ministry that Matthew sets for us, uh, sets here in chapter 4, sets before us. After his baptism and the declaration of the Father's love over him, which happens at the end of chapter 3, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to do battle with the devil. And this, uh, before we get into the text of chapter 4, I think it's also important for us to understand the context of what comes right before, understand what, at least in part, what happens at Jesus' baptism. So if you have your Bibles open, look at the end of chapter 3. This is where Jesus comes from Galilee. He comes to John, and John tries to prevent him from being baptized, but Jesus says, no, uh, th this must be done in order to fulfill all righteousness. So then John baptizes him, and when Jesus had been baptized, it says, he came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And it's in this context that the Spirit then comes to Jesus and leads him into the wilderness. In this passage, uh, we have, I think, a, a wonderful example or series of examples of how to deal with temptation. Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted, and if you noticed, as we read through the passage, time and time again, the way he answers the temptation is to turn to Scripture. This is a wonderful example for us of how to fight the tempter. However, this, um, while this is true, that we learn much about fighting temptation in this passage, this is not Matthew's primary point in setting this out. 
Jesus here is set forward for the reader, for the people that Matthew is writing to, as a new Israel, as a new Adam, the true Son of God. I think we're invited to see this right from the end of chapter 3. The heavens are open, the Spirit descends, and the Lord says, and the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he goes into the wilderness. And so Israel, like Israel, had been sent into the wilderness for 40 years because they did not believe the words of Yahweh, that he would give them the land. I think we have a parallel here. Jesus is sent into the wilderness for 40 days, and the, temp- the thing that he is tempted on over and over again is really, does he believe the words of God? Does he believe that he is the Son of God? That's what God has said, and then he's sent into the wilderness to be tempted. And the thing that he is tempted on over and over again is, do you believe the Father? And I think we'll see this as we go through this passage. Jesus enters into the wilderness to do what Israel failed to do, foreshadowing his greater victories to come. Now before we look at these, so in this passage, there's three different interactions between uh, Satan and Jesus. And before we look at each of those individually, there's an important question that we need to address. It's worth considering, does God tempt? Does God tempt? And this is important to consider because if you look at verse 1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You could rephrase that and say Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness um, in order to be tempted. He was led for the purpose of being tempted. So does God tempt? On the one hand, Scripture is very clear that he does not because there is no evil in him. James 1, James chapter 1 verse 13 sets this out very, very clearly. James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Okay, so James wants to make it very clear. When we fall into temptation, we we may not say, well, I'm just tempted by God. And try to pass it off on him. Because God does not tempt. There is no evil in him. But at the same time, we are sinners. And we live in a fallen world. A world that is full of sin. A world that is affected by sin. And so... There is a sense in which God does lead us into temptation. God does not tempt us, but we live in a world full of temptations, and we also know that God directs all of our steps. Proverbs 20, 24 is an example of that. God directs all of our steps. He lays out our paths for us. Does God know that we walk in a world full of temptation? Well, if God knows that we walk in a world full of temptation, and God directs our steps then I think we can say, like Matthew sets out here, that God leads us into temptation. Now, all of you, hopefully, are thinking, but, but we're taught to pray, Lord, do not lead us into temptation. So how do we hold these things all together? I think one key difference is that the Spirit leads us into temptation in order to test us, to prove us, to grant us victory. Whereas the serpent, the devil, tempts us in order to make us fall. 
Jesus himself was led by the Spirit into the wilderness so that he could be tempted by the devil for that purpose. And I don't think it's incidental that it's just shortly after this, just a few chapters later in Matthew, that Jesus teaches us to pray that prayer. To pray, do not lead us into temptation. But Jesus, you were led into temptation according to God's plan. I think we tend to forget the rest of that prayer. I don't think that when Jesus teaches us to pray, do not lead us into temptation, that he means we ought to expect that God never brings us to a point where we are tempted at all. Because we forget the rest of the prayer. We pray that, that God does not lead us into temptation and leave us there. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. We, we are going to be tempted. We live in a world full of temptations. The apostles teach us that the devil is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's out and about. His his power is limited. His power is restricted. Somebody who has faith in Christ has power over the devil. And yet, he is about. He tempts. And that, that is not even including all of our own temptations that come from our fallen nature, our sinful hearts. And so we can pray, and we ought to pray, as Jesus taught us, do not lead us into temptation, knowing that we are going to be tempted at the same time. Knowing that temptations will be set in front of us so that God can deliver us from them. So that he can teach us and test us and prove us and make us victorious and strong in Christ. And so God does not tempt and we want to say that emphatically, in the sense that he does not put evil into our hearts. And yet he does lead us in such a way that our faith is often tested and refined. There's one, I have a couple passages there in your notes. If you want to look at those later on as other places that confirm this. But one that I want you to turn to is Job chapter 23. And the reason for choosing this one is because it ties into some other things in our in, the, in Matthew chapter 4 that we'll note later on. Job 23, verses, uh, starting in verse 10. Actually, let's back up to verse 8 just to give it a little bit of context here. This is Job speaking. Look, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. This is Job speaking, saying, I- I'm not sure where God is in all of this. But he knows the way that I take. I might not know the way that God's taking. I might not know what he's doing, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job says that I don't know what God's up to in all of this. I can't see him. If he's working in front of me, I can't see him. If he's working behind me, I don't know he's there. If he's on my left hand or right hand, I have no idea. But I know that he knows my steps. And because of that, I continue to keep his commandments, to trust his words. and And I hold fast to his words and treasure them more than my necessary food. And so with all of that in mind, I think I want to set forth this idea that God does not tempt. And yet, the Spirit righteously is the one who leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And I think that there's a picture there for us as well. God does not tempt us. And yet, he sends you into the wilderness. 
to be tempted. So with all that in mind, let's look at the actual temptations here. There's three of them, which is wonderful as you're trying to set out an outline for a sermon. It's really wonderful when scripture does it for you. So there's three items here. The first temptation, let me just give you a really brief outline. In the first temptation, Satan comes to Jesus and he is essentially tempting Jesus to prove himself. Prove yourself. Justify yourself. Okay? In the second temptation, Satan comes to Jesus and, and, and tempts him to prove, to, or to let God prove himself. Okay? First, Jesus, you prove yourself. Secondly, let God prove himself. God has said some things. Let him prove it. Okay? And then the third temptation, Satan tempts Jesus to simply take what is his. Satan tempts Jesus to take what is rightfully his. Okay, and we'll go through how these, are diff- how these things are temptations and why they would particularly be temptations to Jesus. So in the first temptation, Matthew notes that Jesus is hungry after his 40-day and 40-night fast. And it is as he is hungry that the devil comes to him with this first temptation. So the devil says to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. This temptation here is is two-parted, two-pronged. Satan begins by questioning the words of God. What had God just said to Jesus? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then Satan comes to him and says, hey, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. He's testing him, he's tempting him to prove himself. Prove yourself, Jesus, if you are the son of God. Command these stones to become bread. And this is, of course, what Satan has done since the very beginning. Satan always comes and he tempts us to question God's words. This is what Satan did with Eve in the garden. Did God really say, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Did God really say that? He tempts Jesus in the same way. So he's tempting him to question God's words, but then also he tempts Jesus to prove the words of God by doing a simple miracle. And in doing so, justifying the the Father's words and saving himself. Jesus is hungry because he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so he's famished. And there's no food in the wilderness. And there's a bunch of stones lying around. And Jesus is the Son of God. Would it be hard for Jesus, through whom Paul tells us all things consist, all things come together, through whom all things are held together, would it be hard for him to turn stones into bread? Was it hard for him to turn water into wine? Would it it be hard for Jesus to do this? It's a very simple miracle. And so you can see how this, for Christ, in his human nature, this would be tempting. He's hungry. He has power given him by the Holy Spirit. He has power because he is the Son of God. Why not just turn these stones to bread? But Jesus responds, and I think teaches us quite a lot in his response. He says that it is written, and he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Jesus knows the scriptures. He quotes from the scriptures, and he uses the scriptures to deal with his temptation. If you have your Bibles open, go ahead and turn with me. Let's look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 8. 
as you turn there, this is just another encouragement to you to know your scriptures. Know what God has said. And that includes the Old Testament. Know what God's word says. That the Old Testament is what Jesus uses to resist and battle the devil. I find that so fascinating to us. In a, in a modern day where we tend to say that the Old Testament might have some good, important stuff for us, but it's not really important. It's the New Testament that's really important. I don't want to downplay at all the importance of the New Testament. But the, New Te the people of the New Testament, Jesus himself teaches us to use the Old Testament in our spiritual warfare. And so Jesus refers to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and he quotes from verse 3. Jesus says, it is written, you shall, um, it, it, um, losing my place here, excuse me. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is in the context of Israel about to go into the land of Canaan. Moses is reminding them of all that God has done, of all that God has said. And so in chapter 8, Moses says, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you. Interesting there, we see again God testing or tempting his people. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. And so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know. And then here's what Jesus quotes. That man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Moses will go on to say that how God cared for them in the wilderness. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. God provided for them over and over again. God had delivered them out of Egypt. He had provided for them all through the wilderness. And now they're about to go into the land of Canaan. And Moses says, remember to trust in God's words. Because it's God's words, his promises to you by which you live. This is what Jesus is referring to and turning back to when he himself is tempted. Moses emphasizes to the people of Israel that God is the sustainer of life, the one on whom we depend. And God had told Jesus, God had said that Jesus was his son. And God chastens and disciplines his sons by testing and proving them. Again, look at verse 2 in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember that the Lord your God led you through the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart. Why does God bring hard things to you? Why does God bring hard things to you? One of the reasons that scripture teaches us is he brings hard things to you to test you. Not, not to see whether or not you will pass, but to try you, to prove you, to refine you, to show what is in your heart. And this is what God does particularly with his sons. Look at verse uh, 5 in Deuteronomy chapter 8. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. And that's what Hebrews chapter 12 says calls to mind when it says that you've endured chastening for a time, but you've not resisted to bloodshed. Remember that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chases those whom he loves. 
If you are a Christian and you are living in such a way that you don't know at all the chastening of God, there's no hardship, there's no um, uh, 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 hardship in, in a disciplinary sense that's brought to you, you might question, do I know God as my father? Because if he knows you as a son, if he knows you as a daughter, then there is chastening that's brought to you as he refines you and calls you to himself more and more. God had said that Jesus was his son. God chastens and disciplines his sons by testing and proving them. And so, with all of this in his mind, being hungry in the wilderness does not cause Jesus to doubt God's words at all. Instead of doubting and giving in like Adam and Eve, did God really say, God must be withholding from you something if he's keeping you from eating of this tree? Instead of giving in like Adam and Eve, and instead of complaining about God's provision like Israel, Jesus trusted the Father's words that he was his beloved son. So that's the first temptation. Jesus is tempted to prove himself. If you are the son of God, prove it. And it would be easy for you to prove it. Jesus doesn't give in to the temptation because he believes God's words. He says, I don't have to prove it. God said it. I don't have to prove anything. God said it. Second temptation. Let God prove himself. Satan comes to Jesus from another angle and says, again, if you are the son of God. So again, he's questioning God's words, but this time he doesn't, he doesn't uh, have Jesus prove himself, but rather he wants Jesus to let God prove his own words. The devil himself quotes from Scripture. Which, again, as an aside, means that just because somebody is quoting Scripture doesn't mean you should listen to them. The devil quotes from Scripture. We need to take Scripture and let Scripture interpret Scripture. Okay, the, the serpent comes to him and he says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. He's up on uh, the pinnacle of the temple. Throw yourself down. Cast yourself down. Because, Satan says, it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Satan here is quoting from Psalm 91. And it is quite interesting how selective Satan is in his choice. We'll uh, turn there just briefly if you want, or just listen, and I'll, I'll read it to you. Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12 is what Satan is quoting from. Psalm 91 is a psalm about God as, as the refuge and deliverer of his people, how he protects them, how he sustains them. And here's what Satan pulls out of this psalm. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So Satan says, look, God has said, like you reminded me, Jesus, it is written, God has said, if you throw yourself down, he will send his angels to guard over you so that you don't even hit your foot against a stone. God will protect you if you are the son of God. It's tempting Jesus to have God prove himself. <clears throat> but God is not a machine to be cycle tested. He's not a vending machine where we punch in numbers and insert the right amount of cash, and we get what we want out of it. And he's also not a man to be provoked just to see what his reaction is. 
And so Jesus again responds by boldly trusting in the words of God, saying, once again, it is written. And again, quoting from Deuteronomy. This time he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. We won't turn there, but do turn to Exodus chapter 17, because this is what Deuteronomy 6 is referring to. I know we're turning a lot in your Bibles this morning, but if you're able to, I think it's helpful to see these things because Jesus is quoting from Scripture, so I think it's helpful to see where he's actually quoting from. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, what Jesus says is, what he quotes is, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then Jesus adds, or in Deuteronomy it adds, as you tempted him in Massa. Okay, so look back at Exodus chapter 17. This is the story of the people of Israel when they were at the place called Massa. This is a, a fairly well-known story from Exodus, the water that comes from the rock. The people of Israel are in the wilderness. They've left Sinai, or I'm sorry, they're on their way to Sinai, and, and they're in the wilderness, and they, um, they realize that there's no water. There's no water for the people to drink, and they're so thirsty, it says in verse 3, the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us? and our children, and our livestock with thirst. You've brought us out of the land of Egypt. Have you just brought us here to die of thirst? What, what, were, what was all the miracles for? What were all the plagues for? Have you brought us here to kill us? Moses cries out to the Lord and asks, what shall I do with this people? They're about to stone me. They're so upset. And so God tells Moses to go and um, take the rod in his hand, and to strike the rock, and out of it will come water. So Moses does so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So what's wrong with Israel complaining in this instance? They're about to die, so they think. They're about to die of thirst. They're about to die, their children are about to die, their livestock are about to die. There's no water. And they're in the desert. Seems like a reasonable way to, a reasonable reason to cry out to God. <laughs> what are you doing, God? But what's really interesting is what Moses adds at the end of this story. And so, verse 7. So Moses called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. Those are Hebrew words that mean tempted or contention. And he named it this because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord. Israel tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? God had sent Moses to the people of Israel. He had destroyed Egypt, absolutely decimated this powerhouse country through the plagues while preserving Israel in the midst of them. He decimated Egypt's power, preserved Israel through it, opened the Red Sea, led them by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, gave them miracle bread from heaven in the desert. Right? Bread just kind of appears in the morning on the ground to sustain his people. And with all of that in mind, Israel complains, and apparently the question that, they, that was among the people was, is God really among us? Is God really here? He must not be because there's no water. Forgetting everything that God had done for them leading up to this. 
In contrast, Jesus is the new Israel. Like we saw in the first temptation, Jesus is the new Adam because he's resisting the temptation to question God's words. Here, he's the new Israel. When given the opportunity to tempt or test God, to have God prove himself and save his son, Jesus instead turns back to God's words and rests in them. Now, I think we can, we see in scripture other places, like in Malachi chapter 3, that there is a way to test God faithfully. In fact, God in Malachi calls on his people to try me in this, test me in this. He's speaking about the, the tithes that were brought to the temple. So God calls on his people to test him in certain ways. And we also know from scripture that there is a way to cry out to God when you're in the midst of circumstances that you have no idea where God is. Jesus himself does this from the cross. Quoting from scripture, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, God? You read through the Psalms and you see this over and over again. There is a, right, a righteous and faithful way to cry out to God, to wonder even where God is. But what's the difference? What's the difference between that kind of complaining, that kind of crying out to God, and what Israel does here? The difference is obedience. We don't test God by seeing how far he will go. We, we don't test God by grasping for assurance in that way. We don't, again, we don't test God like he's some sort of machine where we plug things in and, and see, are we going to get the right results? You don't test God by coming to church on Sunday, tithing, going to book groups and study groups and Bible studies and all these different things and, and just assume that God is going to make things work out for you. That's not how we test God, but we test God by rightly trusting his words. God, you said this. Your word says this. I'm going to believe that and walk in that and trust in that. And in doing so, we are testing God. And we are rightly testing God. When you obey God, you're testing him. When you obey God, you're testing him because he says, follow me and I will deliver you. And so if you obey God, you're testing him. But it's testing him in obedience, testing him in trusting him, testing him believing what he says. We don't always see the result like Job. We don't see what he's doing ahead of us or behind us or to the sides. But if we're walking in faith, walking in obedience, leaning on God's word, this is how we test him rightly. And as we look through scripture, we see over and over again, as we look through history over and over again, God fulfills his promises. He is true to his word. We test God rightly by trusting his words and then walking in obedience. So first temptation, the devil tests Jesus to prove yourself. Second temptation, let God prove himself. Third temptation, take what is yours. Satan takes Jesus to a high mountain and displays the kingdoms of the world to him with their glory. Displays to him all the kingdoms of the world. We're not told specifically here if this is a, of all the existing kingdoms or if it's all the kingdoms currently and in the future and in the past. But it's all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. The power, the might, the majesty of the kingdoms of earth. And he offers them all to Jesus if he will simply bow down and worship the devil. 
Interestingly, in this temptation, the devil does not question God's words directly. He does not say, if you are the son of God. He simply says, uh, showing Jesus all of these kingdoms, he says, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. He doesn't directly question God's words that, that we saw at the end of chapter 3. And yet, he is questioning God's promise. In Psalm 2, in Psalm 2, this is what the Lord says, this is what God, Yahweh, says. The Lord, Yahweh says, I've set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. Yahweh has said to me, you are my son. So this is Yahweh speaking to his son. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. It's yours. You're my son. I've set you up on, on Zion, my holy hill. You are king and I'm going to give you all the nations of the earth. It's all yours. I think it's fascinating that Satan doesn't say, if you are the son of God, Satan's, uh, he's wily. Jesus has, has shown him over and over again, I believe my father that I am his son. Satan says, okay, okay, you are the son of God. Remember that promise that God gave you? Remember that promise that he's going to give you all the nations of the earth? You can have them right now. They're yours. Why would this be tempting to Jesus? His father had promised him the nations, and yet Jesus knew that he had a hard road ahead of him. Jesus knew that he was going to have to suffer on the cross. He knew that he was going to be betrayed by a very close friend. He knew that he was going to be mocked, dehumanized, scourged, he knew all this. He knew that he was going to have to go through the grave in order to get what God had promised him. Do you see why this would be tempting to Jesus, to, to Jesus in his human nature? Why is this tempting? You can have what God promised you. You can trust in his words. You can trust that God's going to give it to you. And, and you can just have it right now. You don't have to go through all of that. You can escape that. After all, Satan was in some way the ruler of the world. Jesus tells us in John chapter 12 and John 30, he calls him the prince of this world, the ruler of this world. Satan had power and authority, spiritual power and authority over the world before Jesus died and was raised again. Satan says, these nations, the Father said he's going to give them to you. You can have them right now. All you have to do is fall down and worship me. Just a little bit. And it's all yours. Why not take the kingdoms this way? And so Satan is both, again, tempting to question the father, to, to question the declaration of the father, but also his promises to the son. Did God really say? If you are the son, you could hear the, the devil continuing his argument, something like this. If you are the son, why would you have to die to get these kingdoms? Isn't your father all powerful? Why do you have to die? What kind of a father gives gifts like that? 
He's holding back from you just like he did with Adam and Eve. You're supposed to be the new Adam, Jesus. God's already holding back from you like he did from Adam and Eve again. But Jesus is the new Adam. And he trusts in his father. And so Jesus' response is emphatic. He says, away with you. Twice already, Jesus has resisted the devil's temptation. He has responded by referring to what God has said in the past. He's leaned on scripture, but this time he goes on the attack. Away with you. This is the appropriate response to all of our temptations to compromise. When you are tempted to compromise in some way, to bow down to something else, the appropriate response is away with you. And then again, to turn to scripture. Why? Why do you tell the the tempter, away with you? I will not bow down and worship something other than the Lord God. Why? Because it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Again, Jesus quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. To worship Satan would not result in his receiving the kingdoms. To worship Satan and fall down would not result in gaining what God had promised to him. Let me read you again from from Deuteronomy nearby in chapter 8, which we looked at earlier. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Again, Moses is about to send the people into the land of Israel. He says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day, then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God, if you forget him, if you follow other gods, if you serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. God promised Jesus the nations. And Satan tempted Jesus with the nations, offering them to him apart from God's plan. Jesus' response is away with you because he knows that to give in to that temptation, to bow to the devil, would be his own demise. To worship Satan would not result in receiving the kingdoms, quite the opposite. Instead, Jesus trusts the promise of the Father. He knows that God is the true ruler, the true ruler of the world and the one who can really bestow all authority and power. And we see at the end when Jesus dies, suffers through the cross, and he's raised from the dead, what happens? He's up on a mountain with his disciples, and he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. The Father kept his promise. He gave it all to Christ. There's one other thing I want to point out as we finish going through this passage. And again, this is from Psalm 91. Remember, this is what the devil quotes to Jesus in the second temptation. This is sort of an ironic twist that God sets out for us as the devil leaves. Jesus has resisted the devil. He's turned back to scripture. He's told him to be gone And the devil leaves. James says in James chapter 4, resist the devil and he shall flee from you. Jesus is doing this as an example to us. But also, remember that Satan had quoted 
uh, that the angels would come and care for Christ, that they would keep him, that in, in, your, in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. God will send his angels to care for you, so if you throw yourself off in order to test God and, and tempt him to prove himself, God will send his angels and they will protect you. Jesus says, no, because I believe what God has said. You resist the devil, the devil leaves, and what happens? The angels come and they minister to him. And it's as though Satan, like all really bad exegetes, forgot the next verse in Psalm 91. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Who is the serpent? The tempter is the serpent. And the very psalm that he quotes to tempt Jesus with declares that the son, the one who dwells in the Lord, the one who sees God as his refuge and strength will tread on the serpent. And I want you to see as we, as we conclude this, these three temptations that Jesus goes through, these are temptations that we go through. These are temptations that we have. We are tempted to doubt God's words. We're tempted to doubt what he has said. We're tempted to try to make God prove himself. Maybe I, maybe I know what God has said, but I'm going to try to manipulate things so that God will reveal himself. And we're tempted to worship all kinds of things apart from God, to lean on other things and depend on other things and worship other things rather than devoting ourselves wholly to him. Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are. He was a man and he was tempted. Our, our high priest, our savior, the one who has gone before us, it, it's not as though we follow him um, and, and he has no experience in what we go through. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, and if you have been saved and baptized, if you have been given new life, then God has declared to you that you are also his beloved son, his beloved daughter. God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, and then he sends him into the wilderness. If you're in Christ, if you've been baptized, then the expectation is you're going to be sent into the wilderness. If you're a beloved son, if you're a beloved daughter, you should expect wilderness. Not only wilderness, God commands Sabbath rest. He gives good things to those that he loves. He's the giver of all good gifts. But there is also wilderness before us. You have been adopted and you've been made heirs with Christ. And so the Spirit leads you too. And he will lead you into wildernesses of all sorts. So what wilderness do you find yourself in? What wilderness do you find yourself in today? This last week, what wilderness are you anticipating in the weeks to come? Jesus has gone before you. Jesus knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to have lack, to have real needs, to hunger. He knows what it is to be betrayed. He knows what it is to have those that hate him and spit at him and mock him. He knows what it is to have those that don't understand him. To have people that he's in charge of, the disciples, who are real thick-headed and just don't get it. Jesus knows that. He knows what it is to die, to suffer for righteousness' sake. What wilderness do you find yourself in? 
Through Jesus' perfect trust in the Father, he obtained victory over the devil in this wilderness, in Matthew chapter 4, and ultimately over the devil and death and all the principalities and powers in his death, resurrection, and ascension. And he did this so that you might be sons and daughters with him, so that you might walk through the wilderness that he has set before you, through which he is going to bring you, through which he is going to prove you and refine you as gold, like Job says. He has gone before you and he has done all of this so that you too might take up your cross, so that you might obtain victory through him. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that in all of our work, we have victory in Christ because he died because he was raised from the dead, because he has ascended into heaven, has been given all authority and power. Because of that, you, as a follower of Christ, have victory in whatever wilderness God is taking you through. There is the promise of God sustaining you. There is the promise of his comforting you. There is the promise of him bringing you through it and granting you not just the end of the wilderness, but victory. Victory over it all. This is the promise, is the glorious grace of the gospel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you sent your Son to die for our sins. We thank you that you sent your Son to take on human form so that he might be tempted like we are. We thank you that he has gone before us, that he has endured all these things so that we might look to him as we walk through the works that you've set before us to do. Teach us to trust in your words, to trust your promises like Jesus did, and help us to look ahead and look to Jesus to see the victory that you've promised to us, regardless of whether we exactly understand what's going on. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?